Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11. So, I was going to share a message today. Well, I guess you don't even know what it was. Okay, there it is. What the deal with Israel? What's the deal with Israel and why should I care? But I'm going to postpone that a week. Um, I just, I want to wrap my head around it a little bit better before I try to share that with you. And so, I'm going to give it another week to try to let it soak. There's a lot of history with Israel. And there's there's a biblical reason why Israel has been around for so long and will continue to be around And so uh, that will be next week. But this morning, I want to preach a message that I I originally prepared and spoke for uh, this past Thursday at BCM. So there are a couple of you in, actually, uh, I guess they're actually working with the kids, so it works perfect. They won't know what I said. Um, But but I I, I normally speak at BCM for UWF uh, uh, once a year, every six months or so. And this passage just stuck out as, as what I wanted to share with them. And it actually came out of a message that I preached two weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 12. And as I was doing 12, I go, you know, i got to share 11 as well. But um, uh, So here it is. And, and here's why this is so important. There is a point in our life at which we have got to decide that we will be either for Christ or not for Christ. You know, the message in, in Revelation to the Laodicean church is this. You are neither... Warm, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. Now, it, it's really cool because if you look at what, what's going on in Laodicea, they have these pools of water that are hot, that are soothing to the soul, and, and there's a whole, whole message in that. But, but at the end of the day, what we need to know is this. For those of us in the room, I think it's time for either for us to get on the train or to get off the train. And what I mean by that is very simple. Everything about your life with Christ deals with one simple word, or it's explained in one simple word, and that word is faith. We live in a world where where things have to be rationalized, and things have to be processed, and things have to be proven. But the Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please God. And what we wrestle with as a church, as a people of God maybe not corporately, but individually, is we wrestle ultimately with a lack of faith, a lack of belief in who God is and what God has said. And, you know, in my heart, what I would hope that would happen today is that we would drive a stake in the ground, build an altar, if we will, and say, you know what, here and now, this day, I choose to let my faith rest upon the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. Because we're in for some rough days ahead. Don't you know that? I don't know if you've been watching the news. I don't know if you've been listening to the political discourse. I don't know if you've been watching what's going on around the world. But there are so many things going on that unless we are tied to the root of our very existence, meaning Jesus Christ, we're not going to make it. And I'm not trying to be scary. I'm just trying to say that that we're living in days that we have got to have a firm foundation under us if we're going to be able to live and not go crazy. 
And so in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a, there's a chapter here that we know as the hall of faith or the, uh, the chapter of faith, the wall of faith, however you want to put it. And, it. and it's essentially a list of people whose lives were marked by radical faith, by a rock-solid, unwavering, uh, determined faith in God. And the overall question that I would ask you is this. Is your name on this list? And if it's not, what are you waiting on? Is your name on the list of those who have a rock-solid faith? Because if there's anybody on the planet that should have a rock-solid faith, it should be you and me. Here's why. We have more access and more information and more, more proof than anybody else on the planet. We have more to prove that Jesus is who He said He is than anyone else. We're in a nation where we are free to discover all that we need to discover about God. We don't have any restrictions whatsoever. In fact, we not only have no restrictions, but we have resources, we have opportunity. And yet some of us in this room today still have not nailed down some of the most basic fundamental questions. And I, listen, this might come across hard, and I don't mean it to come across that way. Please don't mistake my passion for judgment. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I'm saying at the end of the day, if we haven't settled these, some, some of these core fundamental issues, what are you waiting on? I mean, really, the only explanation is you haven't sought out hard enough. Because it's not that the answers aren't there, it's just that you haven't, haven't wrestled long enough. Let's go to the text, okay? So Hebrews chapter 11, and then you'll understand a little bit more what I mean. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain or confident of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Notice they weren't commended for what they did, they were commended for something deeper than that. They were commended by their faith. Now, faith is not just a word. Faith is not just a, an attitude or a belief. Faith is, is, is more, more uh, 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 tangible than that. Faith is literally saying, I don't choose to believe about. I choose to believe in, and I am trusting in. In the Greek, there's a word that's actually a noun. It's, it's not, I believe in, it's a, I believe on. So to, to have this kind of faith means that there are two questions that you've settled in your heart. Those two questions, when they're settled, it opens up the door for you for a world of awesomeness. Okay? So verse 2, uh, or verse 3 says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. The beginning of this chapter on faith is a declaration that we believe that, that the earth was formed out of something that never existed before. Now we have the record of the formation or the creation of the world. It's in Genesis chapter 2. Open your Bibles there if you will. Genesis chapter 2 is the story of Adam and Eve. So Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, God said, and it was created. 
out of nothing. I think the Latin is ex nihil or nihilo. Niho, niho too. God bless you. So um, what that means is God didn't start with something and create something else. He started with nothing and created something. So if you'll notice that, that one of the fundamental attacks on our faith today is the creation story, right? We hear all kinds of people tell us that we're crazy to believe that God created things. In fact, we're also told that science has proven that evolution is true, that the Big Bang... We're told that this is basically common knowledge. Everybody believes it. If you don't believe it, you just believe in the flying spaghetti monster. If you do any type of research, you'll know what the flying spaghetti monster in the sky is, right? That's what they call the God that we serve. It's this flying spaghetti monster. That's their terminology, okay? So here's the thing. The fundamental core belief... Where faith begins in chapter 11 of Hebrews is this. We believe that God created out of nothing so that what is seen was unseen before, right? The foundation of that is a belief that God spoke things into existence. It wasn't that God had to take something and make something with His hands. No, He literally spoke it. His Word was where the power was. His Word was the action for creation. Interestingly enough, if you go into those who would say that it's not about God creating, but it's about all these other chemical formations, all the way back to the Big Bang and all, what an honest scientist will have to admit is this. They can go all the way back as far as they want, but they still don't have an answer to how it started. Can I get an Amen. They will prove to you or try to prove to you that it started or that, that, that the earth just evolved and came about because of all of these things. But when you get back to the very beginning, okay, so how did that start? That's all you got to ask. So, okay, so how did that come about? Okay, so how did that start? So who did that? Who started that? Who did the, at the end of the day, they're going to have to say, well, I don't know how that started. Why? Well, because there's a fundamental law in physics that says energy can't be created or destroyed, Right? So from one thing comes to another to come to another, but who caused the first cause? God did. Here's an interesting one. Those who would say that, well, I, I, I didn't really want to get off on this, but I, I want to answer this question because it, it seems so simple to me. There are those who would say, well, look, ev science proves that evolution is true. The earth is obviously millions of years old. Well, I would question a lot of the science, but, but let's just assume that that's the case. How old was Adam when God created him? Was he a newborn? Was he 10? 13? 18? I would say it's reasonable to think that he wasn't a newborn, right? So when God created Adam, God created Adam as a, as a man who had at least lived, I would say, at least 13 years. Let's, let's just make him a teenager, right? Did his body look like a newborn or did his body look like a teenager? So wait a minute. If God could make Adam brand new out of nothing and look like he was a teenager because he was a teenager... Is it possible he could have done that with the rest of creation? 
I'm just asking for a friend. Think about it. That's a simple explanation, isn't it? And it's actually reasonable. Isn't it just like God to design in the fabric of creation a way that we would have to get to the point where we say, you know what, I don't fully get it, but either God said it and He's right or God is a liar. I know this. I know that there's lots and lots and lots of science that was absolutely perfectly true until 10, 20, 40, 50, 100 years later, they go, oops, we were wrong. It used to be a sin to eat bacon because it would kill you. Now bacon is, is a good thing. It used to be eggs were awful, now they're good. Y'all know what I'm talking about here? How many times has science changed its mind? And it's irrefutable. Everybody believes in science until science goes, oops, we got this part wrong. What I'm saying to you is this. The very foundation of our faith begins at the foundation of the world. And it's no secret that the enemy would attack the very beginning of our faith to try to destroy the rest of our faith. Because after all, if he can prove the foundation wrong, he can prove everything built upon that as wrong as well. Here's the thing. The enemy uses the same tricks over and over and over and over and over. There's nothing new under the sun. Let's watch it how he does it. Verse 3, or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? So if you go into chapter 2, here's what you'll find. God said to Adam, Adam, you can eat of any tree in the garden. The whole garden is yours, but one tree you may not touch. It's the tree of life. In fact, I would propose to you that what God created for Adam and gifted to him was beautiful, was pleasing, was marvelous, was wonderful in every way. I would think so, because God made it, right? He spoke it into existence. And then He gave... Adam, this gift in Eve, and he performed the first marriage ceremony, and he said, Adam, I'm giving you this helper, I'm giving you this one who's bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh, and I'm joining the two of you together. God created a perfect situation. The enemy sneaks in and he says, did God really say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Here's lesson number one. The enemy is going to try to get you to believe that God didn't say what he said. If he can attack what God said and get you to believe that God didn't say it, He's already wiped you off of, off of the trail. He's got you. So if He can't get you to say that no, God didn't say that, then the second thing He's going to attack is the character of God. These are the two legs that our faith stands upon. It's what God says, and it's who God is. I would say a third leg is what God does, but that's more evidence of who He is and what He says. So the most important thing out of this day is this. Do you believe what God says? Do you believe who God is? If you get those two squared away, everything else in your life will start to make sense. So here's how the enemy did it. He said, did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman was smart. She goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. He didn't say we couldn't eat of any tree. He just said we couldn't eat the one tree. And if we ate of the one tree, we would surely die. And here's how the enemy attacked his character. Did God say you will die? Surely you won't die. God just doesn't want you to have your eyes opened and be like him. He attacked the character of God. And of course, Eve started to doubt God's character. And then she started to see that the fruit was pleasing and good. 
and she led forth into sin. And of course, Adam followed very quickly behind it. I'll say to you that the very same process is used on us over and over and over. So your starting point for faith is to determine whether or not you are going to believe the Word of God. Now, here's, here's the thing about believing God's Word. We would assume that everybody in this room believes God's Word, but that would be a false assumption. Most of us believe a lot in the Word. But if we were really able to get into the deepest, darkest parts of our hearts, we would have to understand that there are those in this room who don't fully believe everything in God's Word. There's questions about some things. There's, there's doubts about others. And so we're kind of wavering between, yeah, I mean, I believe His Word, but you know, I'm just not sure about other things. I want to say to you that your starting point is to examine whether or not you can believe the Word of God and make a decision, a concrete decision, yes, I choose to believe. Notice that word choose. You have to choose to believe because you are not going to fully understand everything in God's Word until after you choose to believe. Because there's this ingredient in finding God and in understanding the mystery of God, and that ingredient is, is the missing link. It's the faith. You say, well, that's backwards. Why would I believe something if I don't understand it? Well, you believe all kinds of stuff that you don't understand, right? Do you believe in light? Do you believe in sound? You say, yeah, but I've experienced it. Guess what? You've experienced everything in God's Word as well. You just may not have recognized it as so. You've experienced grace. You've experienced mercy. You've experienced judgment. You've experienced all these things. Are you with me here? And so, so what I'm saying to you is this. You have got to get to the place where you choose that you will either believe God's Word in its entirety, even if you don't understand it, or you really can't believe any of it. Because think about it. How can you pick and choose? Number one, what gives you the right. Number two, how are you going to pick and choose based on what you, you like and don't like? That's like doing your taxes based on which, which rule you like. Guess how that's going to work out? Well, Mr. IRS agent, I didn't like the idea of giving you that for that. You know, I just like this deduction better. They're going to go what? Yeah, but here's the rule book, right? And you say, you say, Jeff, how in the world are you just supposed to believe it without even understanding it? And here's, here's how. There is enough evidence that exists for you to... Rationally, I'm not in any way saying don't be rational about this. And I'm not saying check your reason, at, 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 take, check your brains at the door. I'm saying actually go on a search and discover whether or not you can believe the book. Because when you go through all of the evidence for the authority and for the, for the, uh, 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 the accuracy of God's Word, what you will find that the, is that the evidence is overwhelmingly overwhelming. Of every, there is no book on the planet that has more evidence for its authenticity than the Word of God. Remember back to British lit and English lit and all... Remember history classes, all of that stuff? You have more evidence found in the Word of God or for the Word of God than every bit of history you've ever read. 
It's been tested and it's been tried. And again, some of you right now are going, man, this is, this is basic stuff. This is beginner stuff. Of course. It, but I'm saying, I'm saying there are people in this room who haven't yet, haven't yet secured this inside of your heart. And that is a source of conflict that will never go away until you nail it down. Now, one of the things that, uh, that I read a long time ago was I was reading a biography on Billy Graham. You know, he was known as our, the greatest evangelist of our day. Preached to more people in person or, or more people have heard him preach than anyone else on the planet ever. Millions upon millions. But do you know that there was actually another guy that was part of his team that was a way better preacher? He was better on the pulpit. He was better with his words. He had a better command of people. But this other person didn't believe all of God's Word. He had questions and he had doubts. Billy Graham had those same questions and those same doubts. But on a golf course late one night down in South Florida, he was pacing the golf course and he said, Lord, I'm just wrestling with whether or not I can truly believe all that's in your word because I don't understand it. I don't get it. It doesn't fully make sense. He said he knelt down. I think it was the ninth green or the 18th green. He knelt down and he said, God, I choose in this moment to believe even what I cannot understand. And that changed everything in his life. Here's why I would say that you need to make that step first, because when you make that step, what you're saying to God is this, Lord, I, I acknowledge my own frailty and my own, my own uh, humanity, and I'm trusting you as the author, chapter 12, verse 2, as the author, or verse 3, as the author and the perfecter of my faith. See, God is the author of your faith, but He's also the perfecter of your faith. How does He perfect your faith? He perfects it through His Word. Am I belaboring the point? Or are you there yet? Listen, I will tell you that there are, there are questions that you have to answer every single day that wouldn't be so hard if you simply believed God's Word. There would be things that you're making decisions about that this decision is not even a decision. It's already been made if you'll simply believe what's in God's Word. There are denominations that are in absolute turmoil right now because they refuse to believe all that is in God's Word. But their problem is, it's not, did God say? It's, what's the character of God? The Methodist church, you can mark my words, in the next six months will be absolutely split over an issue. It is going to be ugly, and it's going to be brutal, and it's going to be public. I say, I'm talking about the UMC overall. Y'all know what's going on with that, right? They've already decided they're going to give a two-plan solution. Churches are pulling out like crazy. You've got all kinds of things going on there. That problem doesn't exist if God's Word is God's Word to the denomination. But don't be fooled. We as Southern Baptists like to stand on God's Word, but don't think that that fight is not coming to Southern Baptists. Because you can look at the history of it and you can see that it started with Episcopalian, it went through Presbyterian, it went through all the mainline denominations, now it's moving over to the, to the other ones. Now Baptists are going to be hard to crack, but I guarantee you it's going to be a major issue within the next 10 years in Southern Baptist life. I just need you to know, I'm not moving my position. God's Word is God's Word. Maybe unpopular, but I choose to believe God first. I don't say that with arrogance and I don't say that with any type of anger. I'm just saying I have no choice but to believe who God is 
and what God has said. Because I do believe that God will never, ever, ever lie. So, in chapter 11, y'all with me still? In chapter 11, what we have is, is this understanding, verse 3, by the, that the universe was formed at God's command, so we know what was seen was not made out of what was visible. We have this foundation, and this foundation is found in chapters 1 and 2, and then even into 3 of Genesis. We also know in Genesis 3 that there's a pattern. That the enemy tries to get us to doubt what God said, and then he tries to get us to doubt who God is. All of the people next in line believed what God said and who God is. And I was trying to, trying to think about it. How does it work? Do you believe what He says and then understand who He is? Or do you believe who He is and then understand to believe what He says? And I don't have an answer for that. I'm not sure it's a one and then the other. I think they're combined. I think as you believe what He says, you see who He is because he always does what He says, which confirms that He is who He is, which confirms that you can believe what He says. And I was really in my mind going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, but I figured I'd spare you of that. But that's what it means by the author and the perfecter of our faith. So let's listen to some of these people. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of the offerings. By faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one who pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when he warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God." Man, as I read this over and over and over, it just wells up inside of me this excitement that I can hardly contain. In fact, here's what happens when you solidify your faith in God. And I say solidify when you make a conscious decision. I choose to believe even what I don't understand. The songs that we sing become, no longer become just songs that we sing. They become anthems of our soul. I, I don't know if I could fully make this argument or not, because I know personalities play a lot of role in this, but, but to be able to sing a song about the character of God with zero emotion, with zero excitement, with zero anything going on in your heart or your head, it really makes me wonder, do you really believe the words you're singing? How can you sing about a God who is great and not get somewhat excited about that? How can you sing a God, about a God who will never, never let you down? How can you sing about a God who is bigger than you thought He was? How can you, think, how can you sing about a God who is indescribable? Who is, who is all of these other things? I just don't understand it. And again, maybe, that, maybe I just don't... I, for me... The more my faith is in God, the more I have to sing with everything in me that God is God. 
You know, we look at people who are singing in a bar. I actually had this experience on the ship several weeks ago. Uh, did I, if I told you the story, keep it yourself. I want to hear it again. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Shannon and I went into this, this uh, uh, I, I guess it was a bar. I mean, that's where they do the music, right? So we went to this, and it was dueling pianos. And the deal was, they had to, people in the audience sent up songs, request, and then the two pianos would sing and play. It was all kinds of fun. And, and we were having a great time. And then this group of guys walk in and come stand like right here in front of us. But well, I mean, we're okay. It's, it's, a, it's a crowded place. But man, they start singing. I mean, this group of five or eight guys, they're like, Sweet Caroline, pop, pop, pop. I mean, it's, and they hadn't even started drinking yet. But there was something, in, there was something inside of them that made them want to sing. And at that moment, I said to myself, Never again will I be ashamed to ask anybody in church to sing about a great and mighty God. If we can do it at a bar, singing about Sweet Caroline with a bunch of dudes, we can sing about a God who is bigger than we've ever imagined possible. In fact, it wasn't just them. The entire room of 200 people were standing on their chairs singing and shouting and doing all the motions. And I'm thinking, and yet at church, we're going, indescribable, uncontainable. Folks, it should not be. Amen. should not be. See, we're afraid somebody might think we're weird, but we don't think that in a bar on a ship. Never thought you heard your preacher talking about it in a bar on a ship, did you? <laughs> Sounds the making of a joke. So did you hear the one about the preacher who went into the bar on a ship <laughs> with his wife? What actually was the most funny about that whole story is that two of the guys kind of made their way. They were virtually sitting on Shannon's lap. At that moment, she's like, we need to leave. And I'm like, we're out of here. <laughs> it was quite humorous. But the point is this, our faith, the longer we have it, it ought to grow exponentially. Not, I mean, we, we always look at that verse and say, with faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. God, give me mustard seed faith. No, give me giant Goliath sized faith. The whole point is that it starts with the mustard seed, but it grows into this enormous, ginormous tree. That's the point. What starts tiny becomes something that can't even be measured. And that's the kind of faith that God is calling us to, church. Faith that moves mountains. You move mountains when you believe what God said and you believe who He is. There's no other way to do it. In fact, if you were to skip to the end of this passage, listen to uh, 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 what the Scripture says, starting in verse 32. And what more shall I say? I love it when he says that. In other words, he's going, i got a lot more to say, so I'm just going to have to skip through it quickly. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Here we go. Ready? Verse 33. Who through, or uh, verse, yeah, 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms? When's the last time you conquered a kingdom? That's what God's calling you to. Administered justice 
and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. It's more like, who shut the mouths of lions, uh, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead. Raised to life again, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. My favorite verse, the world was not worthy of them. Is your name on this list? Would somebody look at you and say, oh yeah, they are a man of faith. They are a woman of faith. By the way, I hope you notice that in this list, if you were to read it, not one of these men or women is perfect. In fact, Rahab was a prostitute. I love to point that out because we sometimes in our self-righteousness think that those that are full of faith are perfect, and they're not. We are men and women with feet of clay. We are broken and we are, we are bruised and sometimes we fail. Listen, um, be careful of putting preachers on a pedestal. Because you need to understand that preachers have a bigger target on their back than you do. Because if the enemy can get a leader of the gospel to fall, he can take a whole lot of sheep with him. And I want to remind you that preachers who fall, need, they need and they deserve as much grace as you want yourself. This is where what Jesus said rings true. Let he who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. As you hear news of, falling, of fallen preachers, let the righteous indignation cause you to do good and to offer grace and kindness, not stand in the court of judgment. Just put that in the back of your head. And don't ever lift me up on a pedestal because the higher you lift me, the farther I'll fall. I hope you, hope you know that. I think most of you probably do know that. I guess that's a good thing. But every one of these guys and girls, they had, they had things in their life that were... I mean, look at the sin of Noah. Noah was righteous. He was the only one God spared. And yet, he had this issue a little after, after the flood, and it was a horrible issue. You can go back and read it. I don't want to talk about it now. It wasn't good. Look at Abraham. Abraham slept with his concubine because he... Because his, his wife told him to. And then his wife complained to him, you weren't supposed to do it. Why'd you listen to me? This is your fault. You want to talk about family troubles? That's family troubles. I mean, look, look at the life of, um, of Isaac. Isaac was a mess. Isaac was an absolute mess. He had all kinds... Of, look at the life of Jacob. There's nobody in this. Look at Moses. Moses was a murderer. 
Moses was one who uh, uh, chose to run away in the desert and just mind his own business. I mean, Moses gave God complaint after complaint or excuse after excuse. Listen, if you're saying to God, God, you really, I just, you don't understand. No, he understands. And you're just like everybody else on this list if that's the case. But the thing that you need to see and that I need to see is that you don't become a man or a woman of great faith overnight. There's a seed of faith that you allow God to build and to grow inside of you. And before the end of your days, because of that faith, you get on the list. I need to, I need to start wrapping this up, but let me share with you the story of Nabim. I've been studying here in the last couple of weeks, and I'll be doing it for the next couple of months, uh, Islam. Different sources. I want to I find out what, uh, what I need to know about speaking to those who are Muslim. I was asked to go to a Muslim country here in a couple of months and, and work with the underground church and to teach them the Word of God. In the last two years, uh, they have just exploded with new believers. It's, it's Kyrgyzstan. It's an old Russian Federation uh, state that's, that's very poor, very uh, uh, just a hard place. It's illegal to be a Christian. It's illegal to meet as the church. They're Muslim. However, the authorities for some reason right now just kind of close their eyes and pretend you're not there if you don't cause too much trouble. So, so I'm studying Islam, and one of the things I came across was uh, Nabish Karim. I butchered that last name, but Nabish, you, you can look it up. He wrote a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. He died September 16th, 2017 of stomach cancer. He was diagnosed one year earlier. He died at 34. But in his 34 short years of life, he made a dent in the universe. Here's what I read about Nabim's life. I read, or I heard him speak, actually. I was watching something he, he, was, he was sharing. He basically went on a journey to prove Christians wrong. And he met a man who didn't have all the answers, but was a man of faith. And who was willing to engage in conversation. And for four years, the two of these friends journeyed together in faith. And after four years, Nabim finally gave his life to Jesus. And then he had to go tell his parents, I am now a Christian. He said, what you must understand is that the worst possible scenario in a Muslim's life is to turn away from Allah and turn to Jesus. It was as if his parents were completely, or not as if, his parents were completely and totally dishonored. In the Muslim world, if you turn to Christ, that is the most horrific sin you could possibly commit, and you are, you are able to be killed because of it. It's that serious. It is the most dishonoring thing you could possibly do. Here's why I'm telling you this. In Nabim's life, the thing that changed him was a believer who had a rock-solid faith even though he didn't know all the answers. It was a believer who chose to interact with a man. Instead of being afraid, he chose to get right in there with him. And it was a believer who pointed Nabim to the Word of God, and the Word of God changed his heart. It was this, 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 this uh, uh, discovery that the Word of God 
was more likely true than any other religious book. It was this whole process. And I want to say to you this, Nabim's life was testimony to everything that we're saying here today. And in 34 years, his faith was so great and his faith was so impactful that his faith or his life made more of a dent than some of us in however many years we're in. And the reason is, he went all in. But he went all in because he had to. Does that make sense? Let me read to you one other passage of Scripture. The thing that we fear is we're afraid that if we go all in, it might cost us something. We're afraid if we go all in, it might be painful, it might hurt, it, it might even cost us our life. You know, some, some have said to me, well, Jeff, how can you go to a Muslim country where it's illegal? To... Look, I'm not going to die early and I'm not going to die late. I ain't afraid of nothing. Boring English, but it's the truth. Why would we be afraid of anyone or anything if we have the gospel as our foundation? Folks, I'm saying that to you. Where is it that God has called you to go, but you're not going to go because you're afraid? Self-preservation is not what God has called you to. Giving your life in the kingdom of God is what God has called you to. Any man who seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I saw a, a video yesterday, it was posted on Twitter, of these two Chinese believers, a guy and a girl. I think one of them was a pastor. And they were in the streets handing out masks to everybody who drove by. By the way, I've been to Wuhan. That's where Hannah and I were about five years ago. And, and the, to see the city streets empty is unbelievable. I mean, it's a gigantic city. But as, as they were on these streets, it was cold and rainy outside. People were coming by. They would stop them and give them a mask. And they said to themselves, I'm giving you a... Or they, they, they did this because they wanted to use the mask as a doorway to the hope of the gospel. What they're doing is putting their life at risk so that someone might hear the gospel. That is the call of every believer. And you know what? For too, I'm going to get on a soap. For too long as the church, we have said, oh, but God says that we're supposed to take consideration of ourselves. You know, God said, don't do stupid stuff. Where does He say that? Where does He say, preserve your own life? It doesn't. What we're doing is making an excuse for our own fear. And again, I'm not trying to be hard. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to say, if we truly believe the gospel that we say we believe, then we believe that God goes before us and He goes behind us. And even if the world takes us out, God has not been weak and God has not lied and He prepares a place for us. The worst thing that could happen to you or to me is to lose our life. And if we do that for the sake of the gospel, whoopee! That's actually, that's actually what Hebrews said, didn't it? They were preparing for themselves. Did he say that? Did y'all read that or did I go crazy? Here, here's what he says. We're on overtime now. So, uh, some were, they faced jeers and flogging. They were chained, put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went in sheepskins and clothing. They were destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. 
Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Let me share with you this one gem and we're done. Isaiah 57, 1 and 2. The righteous perish and no one ponders it in his heart. Youth, or, or devout men are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. We're trying our hardest to prevent what God says is ultimate rest. Why is that? Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not putting up a cruise ship towards death anytime soon. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not getting a sign-up list. Hey, who wants to die? That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying... Maybe not death, but all those other reasons that we fear believing all that God says. A fear of what they'll say, a fear of what they'll do, a fear of what we'll lose, a fear of what it will cost. What if we as a church just decided today, right now, we choose to believe everything that God said and all that God is? And the part I don't understand, I'm just going to trust that He'll make it clear as we go. What do you think God would do? I can honestly say that as I have wrestled with faith for the last 46, how old am I? 47 or 46? Shannon? I'm 46. I've been a believer since I was 15. I was born on the front row of a church, so you can put it you know, a bunch of years before that as knowing about God. I can honestly say now I'm more confident today than I've ever been before that what we have is real. You know why I'm so excited about Kyrgyzstan? Because these people are living on the edge of the sword. They're believing in a very short amount of time what it's taken me 30 years to get to. That should not be. If you close your eyes and bow your head, I want to encourage you right now. Choose to believe. If you're one of the ones that I'm speaking to that you're questioning whether or not you can believe the Bible, at least determine that you are going to search after truth until you find it. If you're one that has a question about the character of God, you're not sure if He's the kind of God that He says He is because what you see doesn't necessarily match up with what God says. Choose to believe. Allow God to confirm that. And folks, it's so important because there's coming a day when it's going to be hard to believe. Shore up your faith now so that when testing and trials and troubles come, your faith will carry you through. Father, I open this place up today and ask that you would mightily speak to our hearts. Father, give us a desire and a passion 
to trust you in all that you've said. And Lord, with all of our questions and doubts and all of our rationalities, Lord, help us to work through those. Get to the point where you have our undivided attention. Where silver and gold no longer shine in a way that attracts us. Where power and prestige no longer draw us. Where making a name for ourselves is no longer the goal. But that we would come to you and die so that we might live. God, I pray that this radical message, the message of Jesus, would just permeate our hearts and that we would be sold out completely to you. Little by little, day by day, remind us of how great you are. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. This morning as we sing a song of invitation, I want to invite you to come and pray. If you want to come and speak to me or one of the other pastors, please do that. Whatever God has led you to do today, maybe this needs to be your church home. Maybe you need to follow in believers' baptism. Maybe you just need to deal with God right where you are. I want to invite you to respond however He called you. Will you stand? Thank you for listening. You can find out more about Sword One Church at